Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles. So we're continuing on in our series to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles. The title of this morning's message is Stand Fast. Stand Fast. On the morning of Tuesday, September 26th, one of our beloved missionary families left Ireland permanently to return to the States. Unable to renew their visa, they left a massive gap behind and a fledgling church that was beginning to grow for the first time in 20 years. Souls were being saved, baptized, and added on. Apart from a few godly, very zealous ladies, they had at least five adult male members committed to the establishment of the church, which is a very wonderful prospect for that church. However, they are all young believers. None of the men were in the church more than 12 years. In fact, most of the men only came in the last few years. And having come from various denominational backgrounds, they're biblically, where biblical doctrine was not emphasized, they have yet to be grounded solidly in the faith. The missionary couple has left behind um, Ireland, left Ireland behind with much work to be done, and there are many potential pitfalls for this young body of believers that could really hurt them spiritually. Such is exactly the way it was in New Testament times when the Apostle Paul started a church, and they had to leave them. The believers were young. Though they were zealous, they were not fully trained. They didn't yet have the maturity or the experience to apply Paul's teachings to everyday life and know how it works. But he had to move on. The Lord was moving him on to the next destination. And as he moved on, he left an extremely important message with the Philippian church, as he did with all his churches. And his message was simply this, stand fast. The missionary who just left his country, um, he had this saying he always had, stay the course, stay the course. It's another way of saying stand fast, isn't it? Again, the title of this morning's message is stand fast, Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for... Nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good, report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do praise you, bless your word this morning, that you would speak to us. Lord, I praise you for the opportunity we have to be under the word of God. This is a privilege. 
There are many around the world who would give anything to sit under the word of God. May we take this privilege not lightly, Lord. May we take it seriously. We have the freedom in this country to meet. We can put a sign out on the street. We can let people know we're here without fear of reprisal. We can preach the word of God in truth because nobody who's, who's going through our, the details of the sermon and, 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 and telling us what we can and we cannot say. We have freedom in this country. We praise you. I pray long may it continue. And I pray, God, you bless your word and you speak to us. And may we grow mightily because of this book that we have in our hands and we treasure so much in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share with you, number one, if we are to stand fast, and we're talking about standing fast, if we are to stand fast, we must do so with rejoicing. The Greek word in verse one, it says here, it says, uh, Paul, sorry, I'm in Colossians, let me go back, Philippians, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, Actually, I'm in chapter 1. If you're going to chapter 4, it's all good, right? Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast. The Greek word for stand fast, echo, is a military metaphor. Paul urged his hearers to be like soldiers, stationary, fixed in position. Stand fast. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men, be strong. Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. What he meant was don't move. Don't let other people change your position. Don't let other people change what you believe in unless you have a very good reason that's biblically clear to change your position. Don't move. I met with some men recently in a similar situation. I told them, don't change anything that you've been taught unless you have a very clear biblical reason to do so. Stand fast. Being, standing fast is the same as being steadfast. This is to be sedentary, settled, as in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? Anything we do for the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bring forth fruit eternally. It's not a blessing to know. Hey, you say, I don't see the fruit in this life. Hey, we're not done yet. We're not home yet. You say, well, when I'm after this message, I'm going to go home and I'm going to relax. No, you're not going home. You may be going to a house, but you're not going home. You say, where's home? Home is glory. Amen. That's the home we're all looking forward to. So be steadfast to the end until you go to glory. To be steadfast means to be stable, firm, sure, as in Hebrews 3.14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of what you believe. You say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Let nothing, let nobody take that away from you. Be steadfast. It means to be stiff and strong, as in 1 Peter 5, 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We all go through a hard time at times. We all have difficulties. We all have frustrations. We all have challenges. And God has a purpose in every single one of them. Don't waste any of them. None of us are queuing up saying, hey, can I, can I join the queue for hardship? 
Where's the cue for hardship? I want to join that cue. I want to go through some hard times. None of us are doing that. Hard times come our way. Don't waste them. If they're going to be, if they're becoming your way, don't, don't waste them. We need to be steadfast. When we say a preacher or a church or a Bible school is solid, we mean that person or that institution is fixed in position. It is settled. It is stable. It's firm. It's strong. They're standing fast, so they're not going to point in the wrong direction. I'll tell you who wasn't standing fast. Lot wasn't standing fast. He was under the tutelage of Abraham. He was under the blessing of Abraham. But he pitched his tent towards Sodom, right? And then he ended up heading to Sodom. He didn't stand fast and he lost his family. He lost his riches. He lost everything. Why? He didn't stand fast. Brethren, we need to stand fast. Don't move. Don't change. Don't change anything unless you have a very clear biblical reason to do so. You say, why are you saying that? Because the Bible says so. It says stand fast. That's what Paul wanted of the Philippian church. And that's how we, as Christians, are supposed to be. So we're to maintain this position of steadfastness with joy. Look at verse 4. We love this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. What's joy? What's rejoicing? It's cheerfulness. It's a happy disposition. We don't want to be grumpy old grapes. We want to be happy people. We want to have joy in our souls and inner calmness. Joy was being hampered though, brethren, in their church because there was two ladies that were in conflict. Two scrapping ladies in the church. See, what were their names? The Bible tells us. Euodius, verse 2, and Syntyche. And you know, their conflict between them was becoming public. You know, we all have conflict with each other from time to time, isn't that right? I think we need to keep the conflict quiet. We don't need to be sharing with everybody what's going on. And we certainly don't want to have a situation where it gets out of hand. Are you with me here this morning? When there's a problem between two brethren, they need to discuss it between the two of them on their own. And if they can't come to a resolution, they bring other witnesses to help bring resolution. And if that can't work, then it's brought before the church. And they need to listen to the church because that's God speaking to the, to the two individuals. Deal with the issue. Resolve the issue. Be at peace with each other. Well, unfortunately, odious. And Syntyche weren't able to do that. Their names are etched in this book for all eternity that they couldn't get on. I'd rather deal with the conflict. Amen. Have my name written in the book for all eternity saying, hey, can get on with each other? I'm sure they dealt with it after that, but it could be changed. Brethren, they weren't standing fast. Now maybe Odious wanted to stand fast, but Syntyche struggled. Or perhaps it was the other way around. It could have been that both of them were trying to stand fast, but either way, they weren't doing it with joy. They were negative. I'll tell you something, it's so easy to be negative, isn't it? We've been through so much in the past decade. We've been through, been through two major referenda, the results of which totally go against everything we believe as Christians. We've just come out of COVID and almost mandated vaccines. We had Dublin City riots last week. We are have ongoing wars. If it's not the Ukraine, it's over in Israel. Christians are either shamed into silence or else they argue endlessly, brethren. Yesterday, Jenny and I went out with friends and we were having a conversation. And Jenny made a comment. She said something and uh, the, the lady thought that Jenny said, woke. She said, whoa, don't get me started. 
There's very few people you can actually have a, an honest conversation with, isn't there? But we were able to have an honest conversation with each other because we're not afraid of what of the media forcing their agenda down our necks and our throats. And brethren, we live in a world where that's happening, and it's hard. And you know what? We can't handle a steady diet of politics. Can we? Why? Because it gets discouraging. But on the other hand, we need to stand fast for our faith. And if we're going to do so, we must do it with joy. So whatever your political persuasion or whatever issue, make sure nothing steals your joy. Can I hear an amen for that? You say, why? Because joy motivates the heart and it lubricates the soul. Joy keeps your salvation fresh in front of you. It keeps you excited about being a Christian. It keeps you excited about reading your Bible. It keeps you excited about going to, to, to the house of God. It keeps you excited about going to the Lord and spending time in prayer. We need joy. Everyone wants joy, but they don't, they don't always know how to get it. But brethren, if people are going to need, if they, they want to know what joy lo looks like, they need to see it in our lives. Would you agree with that statement? They need to see joy in Christians. Brethren, our joy is the greatest advert for our Christian message. That's why the Apostle Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So brethren, if we're going to stand fast, we must do so with rejoicing. But secondly, if we're going to stand fast, we need to do so with moderation. Look at verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation comes from a root word meaning yieldedness. It's translated patience in a few places like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless of good behavior, no striker, but patient moderation. It's translated gentle in Titus 3 to those of Crete were to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle moderation. Euodius and Syntyche needed that moderation to avoid conflict. Isn't that right? Because they just couldn't get on. Moderation is mild and gentle. It knows what is appropriate. It means meekness under provocation, readiness to forgive injuries, candor in judging of the character and actions of others, sweetness of disposition, and the entire government of passions. That's a really good definition of, of moderation. I'll read it again. I didn't make it up when the commentators did, but I thought it was great. It means meekness under provocation, Readiness to forgive injuries, candor in judging of the character and actions of others, sweetness of disposition, and the entire government of the passions. That's moderation. Moderation refers to restraint on passions, general soberness of living, being free from all excesses. Moderation. Matthew Henry commented this, in, in things indifferent, do not run into extremes. Moderation. Moderation. Moderation lives in self-restraint in view of Christ's return. And that's why Christians want to be moderate, because they're thinking Christ is coming back. I don't know when. No man knows the day nor the hour, but he's coming back. Look at verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. 
This verse, brethren, refers to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And you know, you can Google, is, is the return of Jesus Christ imminent? And you can read articles. And I've had people come to me and say, look, based on this verse, Jesus Christ's return is not imminent. You know, these things have to happen first. Well, listen, brethren, they don't know their Bibles. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. The Bible teaches that the return of Jesus Christ is, is imminent. What that, what, mean, that, what that means is it could happen at any time. You say, how do you know? Where do you get that from? Verse 5. The Bible says, the Lord is at hand. The Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because the Passover was about to happen. If Jesus hadn't gone up the, the Passover, he would have missed it. Because it was at hand. The end of all things is at hand. First Timothy, First Peter, should I say, 4-7. The time is at hand, Revelation 1.3. Barnes commented, The expectation that the Lord will come ought to produce moderation of our passions in our manner of living. And it's interesting, for those who know about eschatology, Barnes was not a premillennialist, which means that he wasn't expecting Jesus to come back at any time. But he, he commented on this passage as if he did. Because that's what it means. Jesus could come back, brethren, at any time. It is the grand motive of every Christian grace, another commentator said. James 5.8 says, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He is near. He is ready. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ is ready. When the Father says, Go! He's ready to come back and take us out of this world of sin. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Jesus Christ is at hand. The early churches were keenly aware of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Revelation 22 verse 7. Behold I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. 22 verse 12. Behold I come quickly. And my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be. The Bible teaches the Lord is at hand. Revelation 22 verse 20. He that testified these things said. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so. Come Lord Jesus. Brethren, the Bible teaches us that Christ's return is imminent. It could happen at any time. See, how do you know? I'm glad you asked. Because Titus chapter 2 verse 13 tells us we should be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't look out for someone who's not coming. The Lord is at hand. He could happen, he could come at any time. And no one doing somersaults in scripture is going to prophet scriptures in Matthew chapter 24 can convince me otherwise. Because the Bible says it. He's at hand. Surely I come quickly. He is at hand. Those who have that sober focus do not have to time don't have time to fall into extremes. There are people who've got way too much time in their hands. You understand what I'm saying? People, what, what's the old saying? Idle hands is the devil's playground or workshop, so we said as well, yeah? We don't, brethren, we should be busy. There are some people who are very busy in their work. Thank God you've got work. Brethren, but there are people who've got time in their hands. Use your time for Jesus. There's plenty of work to be done. Brethren, we own this building now, amen? We got work we need to do in this. We, we, want, we didn't want to start putting all this money into uh, renovating the building until we own the building. Now we own the building. Let's now start putting time and effort into making it the way God would have it to be. The Lord is at hand. 
We need to be busy for him. Busy about his business. Making his house look good. Glorifying him. With moderation. Committed Christians are far too busy about the Father's business. It's our joy. And if our joy is our greatest advert for our message, our moderation is the vehicle that drives that message. Because you know what? There's no point in us being joyful if we're not moderate, if we're extreme. Because people are going to look at us and say, that guy's strange. Now, they might do that anyway. They probably do. But let's not give them a reason to think we're strange. <laughs> let's be moderate. If we stand, for, for, stand fast, we must do, do so with rejoicing. We must do so with moderation. And finally, we must do so with strong mental health. That's a buzzword today, isn't it? Mental health. I mentioned already, I'm going to remind you, a survey conducted by a hospital and two universities not far from here found that 41% of Irish people struggle with mental health issues. That's a lot of people. That's nearly half the population. That's a lot of people. Strong mental health needs to be addressed. Would you agree with that? This book addresses the issues. Amen. And brethren, can I just say this? If we will immerse ourselves in this book, it will deal with 95% of our problems. Yes. Amen. It will. <laughs> a, a, a story is told of a woman who lived long enough to, to learn some important truths. And she made this statement, I've had a lot of troubles in life, most of which never happened. <laughs> Scripture gives us five great truths. And you want to take notes here? Five great truths. Okay? Uh, actually, let's go read verse 6 and 7 before we get there. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. It says here, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, should keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, now, let me give you five great truths about worry. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Great worry chapter. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is a great worry chapter. The Lord knows our needs. And he knows how to meet those needs. And I believe this book has the answer to all our problems. Now, I understand that we can get ourselves so deeply engrossed in, in trouble and so deeply involved in trouble, we need more than just read the Bible for ourselves. We need professional help. I get that. But before we get ourselves in a place where we need professional help, this book has all the answers. And we can, just, we can, we can, we can have self-help from scriptures. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something. This stuff is free. Aren't you glad about that? It's not going to cost you 100 euros a session. This is, this is, this is the word of God. You can apply this to your life. So write down five great truths about worry. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. We'll read the passage, then we'll go back. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. You know the verses already. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, and the body than the raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye more much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Or why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon 
in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, we'll read the other verses in a minute. Number one, the first great truth of worry, about worry, the first great truth about worry, there is more to life than worrying about necessities. There is more to life than worrying about necessities. Look at verse 25 again. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Stop there. Stop it. Stop yourself before you go over the edge. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, yet for your body, what you should put on. Is not the life more than meat? So what's more to our life than our necessities? Our walk with God. See, the pagans, the Gentiles, the Bible says, verse 32, after these, verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's all they can think about is their necessities, their retirement, their pension fund, their, 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 their house, their car. I get it, sometimes we have legitimate car needs. I get all that. That's all they can think about. But brethren, there's more to life than that. Doesn't your God know you need to get from A to B? Doesn't your God know that you need to eat? Doesn't he care about it? Absolutely, there's more to life. Number two, we're the only creatures that worry about our needs. Write that down. We're the only creatures that worry about our needs. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. Hey, I, they're just birds. Now my John loves birds. Don't tell him I said this. But he's got, he has his two little budgies in granddad's place. We were going to put them in the shed, but they probably wouldn't have made it. I just wouldn't have that long I'm brutal for birds. I just don't care about birds. I just don't. And John said, look, aren't they so cute? I said, John, they're birds. They're just birds. He loves his birds. But as far as I understand, we're higher up on the, on, on the chain than the birds, right? We're more valuable to God than birds. Would you agree with that? Yes. I hope so, right? Yes. Just checking. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. They don't seem to be worried about their own needs, do they? Yet your heavenly Father, what's it say? Feed them. Are ye not much better than they? If they don't have to worry about their needs, why are we worried about our needs? I mean, is this simple logic? Do you understand what I'm saying? It just, it doesn't make sense that we, in the highest form of God's creation, I mean, God became one of us. He didn't become a bird. There's no redemption for birds. He didn't become a bird. He became one of us. We're the most valuable of his creatures. Would you agree with that? Yes. And if his lower creatures don't have to worry about necessities, why do we? Number three. Worry doesn't change a thing. Write that one down. Worry doesn't change a thing. I think there's a statistic that uh, 95 or 90% of the things we worry about never happen. It is a complete waste of our time. If, you're, if you are time conscious, if you'd like, there are some people who let their money tells them where they go. And they're, you know, they're in trouble at the end of the week or the end of the month because their money's always telling them where to go. Or there's people who tell their money where it goes. 
There are some people there that are slaves to their time. <laughs> I don't have a time for this. I don't have time for this. But there's a lady in our congregation who always says, there's always enough time to do what, what, what God has for you. You don't have to worry about that. We can be slaves to all these things, and we can be slaves to worry. Oh, what about this? What about this? It doesn't change a thing. There's no value. I like using my time wisely. I don't want to waste time on worry. I'm one of those people that I go to a checkout, and I, 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 I count the people in each line, and then I, I set my tackle and I wonder did I beat the person beside me as I, I follow all the way through. I just, every single time I go shopping. That's why my wife doesn't want to send me out shopping. Because I'm worried about the length of the line, the queue. Maybe that's not true, she shouldn't send me out for that reason. But I, I always do that because I don't like wasting time. I had it growing up. It was, I was, it was taught all the time, don't waste time, don't waste time. So I don't like wasting time. I feel guilty if I waste time. Brethren, worry is a waste of time. It just is. It doesn't change a thing. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, God used this in my life a long time ago, it was such a help, can add one cubit onto his stature. A cubit is, is from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. It's about 18 inches, there it is. You can't add a cubit to your stature. By worrying, you don't get, oh boy, man, I, I'm walking up nearly seven foot tall today. <laughs> How'd you get that, oh boy, by worrying, you know? That doesn't happen, does it? Worry doesn't change a thing. Number four, worry assumes that God has somehow forgotten us. Worry assumes that God has somehow forgotten us. Look at verse 28. And why take you thought for Raymond, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed, who is clothing the field, brethren? God is, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little Worry assumes that God has somehow forgotten us. Remember me, Lord? We may say those things, but God never forgets us. Don't you love those verses that say that his thoughts are innumerable towards us? We're always on his heart, always on his mind. Aren't you glad about that? He thinks about us all the time, so why worry? You know, oh Lord, I want to remind you about something. God hasn't forgotten. We're the ones that forget. And the fifth thing about worry, worry demonstrates a complete lack of faith. Look at verse 30. O ye of little faith. When we worry, we're not trusting God. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. We shouldn't be lacking trust in God. Can God take care of this? Now I understand some things get on top of you, your heart palpitates, you feel stressed, stress is normal. In fact, a certain amount of stress is actually good for you, but not too much stress. And you know, a certain amount of, uh, of exercise is good for you, but not too much exercise. Like, when I took Poppy for the run in the forest, that was too much exercise. I thought I'd end up in hospital at the end of it, because that dog was way too fast. I'll have to take a fluff ball for her in the forest and get it gets on. Bring her, bring her, or bring her for a drive or whatever. No, 
<laughs> I like that though, I'm only joking. <laughs> but the point is that um, my wife is not laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, everything in moderation. So being concerned about things is good, worrying is wrong. Okay? It's a lack of faith. Yet we know all these things and we still persist to worry. The more we try not to worry, the more we think about what we're not supposed to worry about, what we end up doing. We're in. Or else we have no worries at all. And then we're worried about the, when the next thing will happen when we have to worry about that worry. <laughs> we're such fresh creatures. But if we're to be strong mentally, we need to learn the biblical injunction, be careful for nothing. All our worries must be brought before the throne of Almighty God. Verse 6. We're back in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 6. All our worries need to be brought before the throne of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. says here, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Let God know. Let Jesus know. Why? Because He cares. He cares. Believing prayer is upheld by faith that God will take care of our needs. When we pray, don't panic. Lord, please, 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 please help me. Thanks, Lord. Now I'm going to worry. We do that sometimes. <coughs> but instead, no. Take a deep breath. You know, when, when the kids had their recital on, on Friday, they had their recital. The missionary kids get together on a Tuesday. And then they, the, the parents and everybody works together and trains each other in piano, violin, band or all that type of stuff you know orchestra not a band it's really more of an orchestra anyway they get together they do all these things and uh, we had a recital on friday and uh, mrs tarp monica said said to the kids before you play take a deep breath first that's good advice to take a deep breath <sighs> brother we need to do that Take a deep breath before we start to worry and trust God. Our supplications must be in confidence. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And brethren, we already know it's his will to meet our needs. You say, how do I know it's God's will to meet my needs? The Bible tells us. Jesus cares. Our thanksgiving. The Bible says in verse 6, let your curse be made known by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God with thanksgiving. Our thanksgiving, when we give thanks, when we're praying, we give thanks. We need to give thanks to say, Lord, thank you. You've already answered this prayer. Brother, I want to tell you something. Like everybody else, I, I, I come up with financial needs and I just say, God, I don't know how this is going to be met. But you know what I've learned to do? Instead of giving God advice, because I used to give God advice, I've now come to a point where I realize he doesn't need my advice. <laughs> I just thank him that he has the answer. Do you know why I stop giving God advice? I'll just be really practical. Because every time I give him advice, my advice is always wrong. <laughs> and I've learned, this, I pray in the wrong way. So I'm just going to say, Lord, you know how to figure it out. I think this is the way, but Lord, I'll leave it with you. And I thank him for what he's done. And you know what God answers? And he'll answer his way. And it's great, isn't it? This, the story is told of Pastor George Mueller, Bristol man who fed 20,000 orphans by faith. And I love, I read his biography years ago, it's a tremendous blessing. We may have one of them in our church library and <clears throat> our church bookshop, should I say. But he, he made this statement, or well, it was said about him, should I say. One day the plates and cups or bowls were on the table 
but there's no food in the larder, no money to supply the need. The children were standing waiting for breakfast. Children, he said, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hand in prayer, he said, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. They nothing, I mean they nothing. He ended his prayer. A knock was heard at the door. The baker stood there and he said, Mr. Mueller, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning thinking that these orphans are gonna have nothing to eat. I started baking bread and here's the fresh bread. His, their eyes opened wide as they saw all the fresh bread. And then immediately came a knock, a second knock to the door. The milkman had announced that his milk cart had broken down and he needed to offload the milk so he could fix the cart. Does Jesus care? I know he cares. Is it not time that we learn to trust him more? Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace comes when you don't worry. That peace comes when you just trust the Lord and say, Lord, I know you've got this. I know you have Strong mental health requires freedom for worry. But finally, and I don't have time to talk about this <clears throat> this morning, there's another day's message. Strong mental health, health requires guarding our minds. That's the problem we have going on in, this, in our society before, to, or, sorry, today. Our government, our media, has broken down all the barriers. In the old days, things were rated. There's no point in rating anything because X-rated stuff is being flashed before our children's schools. And the adverts used to come on the, the, the adult, with adult content in the evening time, now it comes on at any time during the day. It's, it's plastered on adverts everywhere. All the barriers have come down. Years ago I was speaking to a family friend and he almost had a nervous breakdown and he made this statement to me, I'll never forget it. He said, our minds are very fragile. And there's a lot of people in this world, ungodly people, who either reject that thought or don't care. But our minds are very fragile. And if our minds are fragile, we have got to tell our thoughts where to go. Because if we don't control our thoughts, our thoughts will control us, and you don't know where that, those, that control is going to lead you. It has led people to places they never wanted to be. Places they said they'd never be at. It's because of our mind out of control. So the Bible tells us how to control our thinking. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think of these things. We've got to make choices, brethren. And this is hard work. Because our minds don't necessarily naturally turn to truth. But truth protects our minds. What is truth? It's the opposite of speculation. You can't guess what people are thinking. You can't live on what if this happens, and what if this happens, and what if... That's not truth. You can't play mind games, and you certainly can't live by your feelings. Well, I feel this is true. Feelings are not facts. We must focus and what we know is factually true. Whatsoever things are true. But the Bible also says, whatsoever things are honest. Meditating on honest things protects our minds. 
This refers to honorable things, things that are worthy of our attention. We spend way too much time thinking about things that have no value, no spiritual value. In fact, sometimes we can look at things that are negatively, that negatively impact our minds. And the ads on TV, and if, brethren, if you have an ad blocker, if you don't have an ad blocker, you need to get one. If you watch stuff on YouTube, that's fine. Get an ad blocker. Because you may not necessarily be able to control the content of the adverts that come your way. You don't need to be filling your mind with stuff that's not edifying, that's going to bring your mind in a wrong direction, that's going to bring your mind out of control. Your mind needs to always be in control because the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And we need to have control over our minds because that's what protects us. We do not want to give attention to worthless matters. We only want to give time to things that are worthy of our attention, things that edify us. Meditation on just things protect our minds. Look what it says. What sort of things are just? Just things are equitable, they're fair, they're righteous. And brethren, I'll tell you where you get a sense of justice from this book. People will say, well, my friend said this. It doesn't matter what our friends say. Do our friends, what our friends say, does it line up with this? Because this is the book of justice. This is the book of righteousness. The word for just and the word for righteous, they're the same word in the Bible. We need to think, meditate on things that are righteous, things that are just. We say, but society doesn't teach that. That's not what I learned in school. It doesn't matter what we learn in school. We're in a pagan world. I'm not expecting justice in a post-Christian culture. I'm not expecting righteousness in a post-Christian culture. If it happens, that's great, but I'm not expecting it. I expect justice and righteousness from this book. Amen. So we need to get our heads in this book, get our minds in this book. You know, I'm coming across people who are taking leadership in spiritual positions and they don't even read their Bible every day. That's a problem. How can you lead if you're not in the book? How can you lead people in the right direction if, you're not, if your heart is not set in the right direction? Can I just say something? It would be very easy for me as a pastor, as a preacher, to say, you know what? I'll just read my Bible when I study to teach other people. That's no good, brethren. Because when I'm studying the Bible to preach a message, I, yes, oftentimes God speaks to me and I get convicted and God works in my life. Yeah, I get it. But that's not me in God time. That's, that's, for, that's for, you, for you folks. Yeah. I need my own time in the Bible. Yeah. I need God to speak to me on my own. I need my hour in the morning where I start the day and it's Jesus and me. We all need that. And everyone can make excuses why we don't have time in the Bible. But brethren, if you want to have righteous thinking, you've got to be in your Bible every single day. Or what chance have you got? What chance would I have if I wasn't in my Bible every day? I'd be in trouble, brethren. I'd be in trouble. And I'm not the only person in this room who'd be in trouble. We've got to be in this book every single day. Why? Because we want to protect our minds. That's why. Whatsoever things are just. Here's another one. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are pure. We live. How can you be pure? in an impure world. It's so hard. Our friends are not always pure. We love them, but they're not always pure. Sometimes our families aren't always pure. 
Sometimes the closest influence in our lives don't promote purity in our lives. How, how do we handle that then? We need to mod- meditate on whatsoever things are pure. We've got to get ourselves in our Bible. We've got to get our own relationship with God. You can't blame somebody else for where you're at in your Christian life. Get your own relationship with God. Can I hear an amen for that? You know what? Isaac rested on the blessings of, J- of Abraham, should I say? But Isaac needed to get his own meeting with God. And he did. He went to meditate in the fields. Jacob needed his own relationship with God. He couldn't, leave, he, he, he couldn't hang on to the, to, to the shirt tails of, of his father. He needed his own relationship with God. He needed his own Bethel. And he got his own relationship with God. Now he had to rip his brother off first before he got there. But he got there after realizing he was making a mess of his life. Brethren, we need our own relationship with God. Get in your Bible for yourself and get your pure mind. Pure means clean, it means innocent, it means modest, it means chaste. We need a pure mind. You say, how do you get a pure mind? This book will purify you. It'll wash you, it'll clean you, it'll give you a good scrubbing, it'll give you a good bleaching because we need it. We need to train our minds. Our minds don't get pure by accident. Oh, I just slipped into saying, I'll take out, just slip into righteousness. It would be really nice if it worked like that, but it doesn't, brethren. We easily fall into sin, but it takes a lot of effort to get into righteousness. Isn't that true? You've got to battle. And that's why Paul said at the beginning of our message in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Stand fast. You've got to work. You've got to be a soldier. You've got to, you've got to fight for this. We may have slipped into sin. You've got to fight for righteousness. You might have fallen into having a dirty mind, but you've got to fight for a clean mind. You might have fallen into a, a corrupt world and a corrupt way of thinking and a, a messed up way of thinking where your mind was racing and you couldn't control it. You've got to fight for that mind back again and you can get it, I promise you, through the Word of God. Meditating on purity protects your mind. We've got to purposely avoid material that defile our minds. That's everywhere. <laughs> Sometimes we'd be in the shops and, and Hannah would say, boys, look down. You know, and uh, sometimes, you know, this, this is the thing you don't do. Hannah used to say, or mom used to say, don't look to the left. When you hear don't look to the left, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? No, don't say don't, just say do. <laughs> okay, Look to the right, okay? Your mind is going to go to the right. Your, your thoughts will go to the right. Your, your head will go to the right. And you'll avoid pictures you don't want going on in your head. Do you understand? Because images stay in our minds. I still remember the content I used to take pleasure in as a filthy teenager. It's still there. Because that content gets imprinted in our minds. Isn't that true? But if I want to have a pure mind, I've got to fight for that pure mind. Isn't that true? Yeah. All of us. All of us need to do that. Meditating on loveliness protects your mind and good things and virtuous things protects your mind and praiseworthy things. Brethren, the problem in our society is it's lost its compass. We live in what I would call an experimental age. We want to try different things. We want to experience things for ourselves. See, the, the patriarchal culture is gone. The living and, and listening to authority and learning for authority, that's gone. It's gone. The ship has passed, it's sailed, it's gone. The horse has bolted. There's no point in trying to close the door of a stable when the horse is gone. Are you with me here this morning? It's gone. And so what people want to do instead is they want to experience it for themselves 
and they won't listen to the warnings to avoid it. But what people don't realize is there are always consequences. There's always consequences. Church, churches experiment with different directions, not because they're convinced by scripture, but because somebody said it was a great idea. I said, it breaks my heart. Oh, it's a great idea. Some guy who knows nothing about pastoring starts giving pastors great advice because they read a book. I guess writing a book makes you worth listening to. I don't know. Brethren, here's the book that's worth listening to. And, and if this book says it, follow it. If the book doesn't say it, be careful. Be careful. There are consequences. And that's why the Apostle Paul urged the Philippians stand fast. And, and he wept over church after church, saying, stand fast, stand fast, don't move. This morning, I am urging Gospel Baptist Church to stand fast. But how? Stand fast with rejoicing. Your joy is your greatest advertisement for your message. So I want to ask the question, would you consider yourself a joyful Christian? Are you joyful? Is that what other people see? He's a very happy person. She's a very happy person. Secondly, stand fast with moderation. Is your life marked with self-restraint? Do you avoid excesses? Do you avoid extremes? Is that what other people see? Are you tempered by the soon return of Christ? Are you looking for him to come back? And that affects your behavior. And finally, stand fast with strong mental health. Are you tempered? No, we said that already. Are you walking in victory over worry? Look, everybody worries at times. I get that. But are you walking in victory over it? Do you meditate? Do you entrust Christ? Trust the Lord and thank Him for His watch care over you and over those you love. Do you... Well, do other people see that? Are you vigilant regarding your mind? Are you guarding your mind? Do you meditate on biblical things? Because that's what gives us strong mental health. It's rock. It's rock solid. Or do you instead tend to struggle because you've no control over your thought life? There may be people here this morning and you just would say, you know, honestly, I have no control of my thought life. I know how you feel because I was there once. I get it. But thank God you may be there right now. You don't have to stay there. Because this book has all the answers. Yes, amen. You should know the truth. The truth should make you free. This book is powerful. You can walk in victory, but it will take a conscious choice to stand fast. Is that the decision you're willing to make this morning? Let's go to the Lord.